Hey, Piers. It's Michelle. I've got some exciting news. The Piers Project has just produced a podcast for Bryony Kennedy, the CEO of award-winning Australian cosmetics brand, Adorn Cosmetics. If you've ever needed a compass to navigating the different areas of your life, then this podcast, Beauty, Business and Babies, is for you. In this fortnightly series, Bryony shares the tears and triumphs that come with navigating the tensions between the pivotal areas in a woman's life and assures women everywhere that they're not alone in feeling like a mess. So make sure to tune in now to Beauty, Business and Babies by Adorn Cosmetics on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, or just head straight to the link in this episode's description. Now let's get into this episode. This is the Peers to Peers podcast, powered by The Peers Project. Hello, peers. Welcome to the Peers to Peers podcast. Peers speaking, peers listening. This is a conversation for you. I'm your host, Michelle Akidanor, founder of The Peers Project, millennial entrepreneur, world traveler, podcast expert, and forever your fellow passionate peer. Each week, I invite inspiring millennial entrepreneurs from around the globe to chat with me. No filters, just real talk, peer-to-peer. Together, we unpack what it takes to go your own way and why there's nothing better. As always, thank you for listening. If you enjoy our podcast, please do pass it on. The more peers, the merrier. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Peers to Peers podcast. In the words of the Backstreet Boys, what makes you different makes you beautiful. This is definitely the case for our next guest. I'm so excited to welcome Sarah Agbula to the show today. Sarah is the founder of M-Time, a monsieur service for busy parents here in Melbourne. It's housekeeping, cleaning, and a nanny all in one. As a woman of colour growing up in country New South Wales, Sarah always knew she was living outside of the norm. But by embracing her unique points of difference, she was able to say no to the traditional path and become the thriving entrepreneur that she is today. I'm thrilled to talk to Sarah today about her story, how she grew comfortable with being different and how she harnessed this to create an impactful business. For those of you who haven't yet, make sure to take a screenshot of this episode right now, post it to your Instagram story and tag us at The Peers Project so that other peers out there can benefit from the wisdom of these amazing entrepreneurs. Okay, without further ado, here is my conversation with the incredible Sarah Agbola. Sarah, welcome to the Peers to Peers podcast. We're so excited to have you. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm excited for this. Nervous but excited. <laughs> <laughs> this isn't even part of what I was going to say, but your smile is absolutely amazing. I'm <laughs> so excited to kind of dive into this with you today. So, you know, you and I recently connected via LinkedIn and 
When I looked into you and all the awesome stuff that you're doing with M-Time and in your space, in, in the entrepreneurial space, I knew I had to have you come on the show. So I really appreciate you taking the time. Oh, pleasure. So happy to be here. Awesome. Cool. So look, for those of us who don't know who you are and what you do, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, so my name's Sarah. I'm Canadian born, Wagga Wagga raised, but I've been living in Melbourne for, gosh, uh, about four years. And what brought me here was really just to start my business. Um, I went to a startup boot camp that uh, the University of Melbourne was running at the Wade Institute. I just thought it would be just a really fun thing to do, just to go and learn something. I was on a gap year at the time. Um, and then ended up meeting my um, former business partner there, um, learning about confinement nannies. Um, I'm not sure if you know what a confinement nanny is. No. Uh, so in some Asian cultures, um, it's normal that after you give birth for the first 30 days, you have a confinement nanny come to your home um, and they'll take care of you physically and emotionally. But a lot of that will also have a, a lot of cultural elements to it. And when she, when my old business partner, she first talked about that idea, I was one of the only people in the room who kind of already knew what it was. Um, and But I really love the idea, but I love the idea of bringing that to people, well, to parents at all stages of the journey. Like there will be different times when you're going to go through something really tough and you need someone to just come in and take care of you. So I was like, how do we make that something that we could make more mainstream? Um, so then after I did that, I ended up doing a master's at Melbourne Uni. I wasn't going to, but then after like learning that much in three days, I was like, imagine what I'd learn in a year did the master's, learnt about business, and then we just went all in and decided that we would start a company based on that concept. Um, and here I am four years later. <laughs> <laughs> it's nuts how things turn out. And I I just, I love hearing that it wasn't even your intention. It just kind of happened. And I want to dive a bit deeper into your work and into M Time. But before we do, I'd like to start with a question I often found to be very insightful and revealing. And that is, what was growing up in Canada like? And how has that shaped you into who you are today? Well, I only lived in Canada until I was three. Then went to New Zealand. And then I went back to Canada again for a year when I was 14. Um, but then I spent all my childhood living in Wagga Wagga, which is in New South Wales. And, you know, at the time, I think this is true of a lot of country kids, you just are so excited to leave. But when I look back, I'm like, Wagga's great. <laughs> like, I don't know. I don't know what my problem was. I needed to get over myself. Like, it was such a great place to grow up. I mean, in some ways it was also really tough because we were one of the only black families there for a long time. Now it's a lot more multicultural. Um, but there was a sort of, I remember um, in class once people asking me, like, what are you? And I had to go home and I asked my mom, mom, what am I? Like, like, like why, yeah, why am I different to everyone else? And then having to have those conversations when you're like four or five and understanding about how, you know, what is discrimination? What is systemic oppression? And things like that when you're a little kid. And I think kind of always knowing that I was different from the very beginning and like, it's kind of, yeah, I think when I think of the things I do now, um, and having that comfort with like doing things that were outside the norm. Well, I've always been outside the norm. <laughs> um, that's just what it's been. Um, so I think there was like a little bit of resilience built there, but then also like it's really nice um, being in a town where, you know, every time you go out, you kind of got to know people. Um, and I love going back. My mum is still there, so I love going back and visiting Wagga. I don't want her to move. I feel like she will, but like I really hope she doesn't because I just, I love going back there. It's so relaxing and it's home. Mm. Oh, I love that. I think... It's just so interesting what you said around race, colour and all of that. And something I wanted to get in, into with you today. You know, what 
do you, how do you think that shapes you at such a young age being told that you're different, you're this, you're that? You know, how, how do you think that shapes you in terms of fundamentally, in terms of what you do with your career? I mean, you said it lended to doing entre- entrepreneurship, but talk to us a bit deeper about that. Um, well, initially it was so interesting because as a, like in primary school, I never had a problem with it. And even if people had a problem with me, I remember thinking that's that's not, that's on them. And I like had such a healthy sense of self <laughs> thinking back. Yes. Until, you know, you turn 12, 13 and you're a teenager and then that completely went away. Then it was my fault that this was happening to me when I went to high school. And then I think it was interesting when I went back to Canada and then that was like I was living in Winnipeg and that was I hadn't been to like a big city before and then being way more exposed. Like I had friends from all over the world, which, you know, Wagga has changed now, but at the time it still really was quite um, insular. And then it was having that experience going there. And then it was, I remember so distinctly um, when I went to school, coming back and thinking, I don't have to change myself for people to like me. Um, And then it just, and I came back to Australia and I changed high schools. And then in my different high school, um, which is like now even still my really like close friends messaging me before I came here are still like still friends from school. And I was just so comfortable with myself and I made friends very easily. And I think it was just having, I don't know, it's just those, that distinct change of going from, I think I'm great. Oh, maybe I'm not so great. And then going you're like, you know what, it doesn't matter either way. And just having to have, and I think it was just being like traveling a lot um, as a kid, like, you know, actually only talking about it now, I'm like, oh, that was really lucky. I was very lucky to have those experiences to go through. And it's not something I, um, I thought about. Talk to my mom about it and be like, oh, by the way, thanks for that. Like, <laughs> didn't realise how formative that was. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Huge. Um, yeah. Um, but it's, yeah, I think it's, um, yeah, it just brought a lot of resilience and just comfort with doing something different. And I just don't even think I really was aware of that until having this time to reflect. <laughs> until right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just find it so interesting and I think I think the question I've got for you is so many of us, especially, you know, women, women of colour, just kind of, I guess, young people out there in the world trying to figure out what we want to do, you know, so many of us have those insecurities around who we are, what we're about, you know, Um, and being different. You know, what advice would you give to our peers out there listening about that, about embracing our unique elements of ourselves? Um, I think I would say to let go of the need to control. Um, At least for me, that need to, and this is something I've been reflecting on a lot over the last year, actually, which is just that, you know, when you're, especially when you're a young person, you're like, I am different. Every day people are going to point out to me, even your teachers are going to say really inappropriate things. Like you're always the example when they talk about the white Australia policy. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone, Sarah, would it be allowed in here? Like, oh my Great. Five-year-old me loves that. Um, and you know, but you have those moments all the time and it's like, you know what? It's usually not malicious. Um, and then you kind of can apply that need to like kind of let go and realize that this is just what it is. And sometimes people say things that you don't necessarily agree with or you don't think reflects you, but that's life. Um, and that applies to every element of your life. And so I think when you let go of that need to control the narrative and control the opinions people have of you, it's just quite freeing. Um, and odds are like, again, because it's usually not malicious, you talk to people and you end up having that kind of exchange and, you can educate people on it and especially now like, you know, being a woman, starting a business, people are going to have assumptions about you. Um, if you can kind of let go 
and at least say, I don't need to control the situation, hear what they have to say, and then be like, that's great, but let me tell you something. <laughs> and then kind of just have that dialogue. Um, I'm, for me, I'm not someone who necessarily always has to have the last word per se. I'm, I'm very soft in that way that I'm like, let's kill them with kindness. Um, so, you know, I don't know if that's always the best way, but for me, it's something that's really worked out quite well of at least just trying to understand where people are coming from rather than trying to set um, how people are going to perceive me and how things have to work. So well said. <laughs> how can we be better at letting go of control? Um, I mean, that's something I'm still working on, um, admittedly. But I, I found if I kind of go into the situation, I kind of think through um, what I think might happen, just so I've like, look, that's one scenario. But then also stepping back and be like, okay, and what are you going to do if that doesn't happen? And I'm just sort of like, oh, well, I guess it wouldn't actually be that big a deal. You just kind of push on. <laughs> and it just kind of, for me, it just definitely brings me down because I'm so attached to that certain outcome. But when I'm like, all right, that's your dream, but, you know, what else could happen? And then you just can let it go a lot easier. Um, I found that really helpful for me just to kind of break through the expectations. Mm. Huge. And I think so many of us are still working on breaking through those expectations and on, you know, even trying to figure out what they are, like what, what, what they are of ourselves, like what it is that we want to be doing, that kind of stuff and how it is that we want to show up. So I guess kind of moving along and moving a bit into your entrepreneurial journey following that time, you know, where you were just navigating early life. How did you, how did you kind of stumble into this? How, how did it come about? How did you go, wow, all the things I've gone through as a child have, have really lended me to kind of going out there and building businesses or, you know, because you started very young. I think the first kind of venture you did was in 2015 called The Thread when you were at uh, UNSW. So talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah, so I um, I always wanted to be a writer. Like, that was what I wanted to be. Um, then I thought it would, because I'm a bit of a quitter, I was like, oh, that's going to be real hard. I think I want something that's more linear, because I used to, like, like, love writing plays and things like that. And I was like, that's too hard. I don't have enough passion for it. So then I actually was, um, I took a gap year after I did my honours year. So that would have been end of 2014. So 2015, I had the year off. And I just went traveling and was hanging out. I enrolled to do my JD, so do a law degree because I liked that it was going to be really linear and it would be like I wouldn't have to, I just follow the path. Um, but at the same time, I just loved like having projects. So I never really saw them as businesses. It's just like this is a fun thing to do so long as it continues being fun. I want to continue doing it. So because I was on that gap year and I wasn't working for part of it, especially um, before I did some of my travel, I just had ample time. Um, I started working on a page with a friend of mine, which was just collating different opportunities for young people. And I slowly started it and I had all this time. I'm like, hey, can I help you with this? Because I like happen to have a lot of experience running like social media pages so I could really help you um, spread this out. And he's like, yeah, sure. So I was working on that. And then along the way I noticed, and because I was in Wagga that, for that gap year, I noticed there was nothing for people who were originally based. I was like, if I wanted to do any of these things, I could not. And I was like, there should be something that was available for people who don't live in metropolitan areas. So then I just started digging. And because I was already looking at what opportunities were available, um, I found that there were social traders and social traders at the time had different programs um, and like grants if you were, I think if you were under 25 or something like that, and they would fund you to do this program that would teach you about how to start a socially motivated business. Um, and so then I just did the thread through that. 
Um, and it was really, yeah, I never really saw it as a business until I saw that program. And even then I was still like, this is just a fun thing to do. Um, and pretty much everything I've done has been based on like, this seems like it would be pretty fun, which is like so silly to say aloud. <laughs> <laughs> that's my decision-making process. Um, but yeah, it's just like, this is really interesting. I'm learning, I'm getting a lot out of it. And so then the thread, um, as I was like trying to do the research and understanding about, well, what, what already exists for people in regional areas, who else is trying to do this? That's when I got connected with the Foundation for Young Australians. And then they were already doing something quite similar um, through launch clubs and they just have so many um, really great programs for young people. And so when I was speaking to them, I was like, actually, could I just work with you guys on this? Like, if you guys are already doing it, why reinvent the wheel? Like, this is all my research that I've done. I'm happy to share it. And so I did. And so I ended up doing that. And so that's why um, I guess I stopped doing that, um, but then ended up joining FYA's board instead and just working with them in that way. Um, so, yeah, everything's just always been like kind of a following what I enjoy and what seems cool and what I think is actually going to really help people. And it's just led me on this like really random path of starting businesses, which, yeah, just a really intense project I've learned. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, no, I love it. I just think it's so, it's so refreshing to hear. And I think so many of us, we see, you know, some of the big entrepreneurs, companies or whatever, and we just think, and, you know, sometimes they've got all this funding and it's so, you know, and we just think, goodness, for me to start that, like I could never do that. And it often like pushes us away or we get a bit like shy about maybe actually following what we're passionate about and doing the things, the projects that could ultimately turn into companies. Um, I found that really interesting. So I, th I guess my, my next question for you is how do you progress to being on the board of, like, I mean, you obviously got in touch with, you know, the Young Australians. Yeah, or what, oh, the, Foundation for the Young Australians. Founda that's the one, Foundation for Young Australians, and then you ultimately got on the board there. Like, how how does that progression work and how can we seek out those kind of opportunities? Um, I think almost, uh, so I, I joined in like a weird way. Um, I feel like I'm jumping around so much and I'm so sorry. No, but Not at all. <laughs> but like, so after I was doing the stuff with the thread, that was when I was like, because I was like doing the social trader stuff. That was when I was like, oh, this business stuff is really cool. I wish there was a way for me to learn something. So that was when I went. I saw that Melbourne Uni, the Wade Institute was running like this three-day um, business thing. And I was like, oh, I'll go to that. And it was, oh, and it's in Melbourne. I can also hang out with my friends. So like, <laughs> how great. I'm like, oh, and it's free accommodation. This is amazing. So like, <laughs> I went. Um, it was just like a fun, again, a fun thing to do. Um, and then because through that, I ended up deciding to do their master's program that they were launching. Um, and then I got a scholarship to do that. Um, the Australia Post paid for. So Australia Post was like, can you come to one of our events and do a panel? And I was like, yeah, sure. And as it so happened, I was on that panel with the CEO of FYA at the oh. time. And, and then I was like, oh, I'm actually supposed to meet with some people on your team like next week. And she's like, I'll come along. So that means like it was just very luck, to be honest. Um, because I had already kind of put the pieces together though, I, I would say. And so then I ended up being in the right place, right time, which, you know, you can't ignore the importance of just that luck piece. But I think because I was so driven on like, I just want to learn as much as I can so I can make the thread something that's going to help people. And then it was just reaching out and just doing your Googles and seeing like, who could I talk to? And so I think being able to speak to her and say, oh, I'm already actually, I've already made the effort to get to know people on your team. That really helped kind of sway that interest of her saying, actually, you know what, um, we're having applications open to be on the board. I really think you should apply. And then 
um, having that push, I would have never ever applied if someone didn't suggest mm. it to me. Yeah. <laughs> um, I didn't know I would. I've never thought about a board. <laughs> I didn't know what a board did or anything <laughs> like that. But it's been like hugest learning opportunity because it's been a few years now, um, and I'm so grateful for it. It's been really fun. Um, but really, it was yeah, going up, going, having a clear. This is what I'm working on. Having already done the work to show that I was already aware of what was going on in this space. I think that really helped. Um, to make that push to be able to create that relationship. And that's something I've seen with all the relationships I've been able to have moving forward. It's always a long-winded, difficult-to-follow story like this, but, but the pieces are always that, you know, you do the work and so that when you are in that uh, a position to have the opportunity come to you, you're ready for it. And if you're not prepared for the opportunity when it comes, then you're not even going to realise that the opportunity is there. Yes, is all I can say. I, I could not agree more. How can we be better or how can we learn to build relationships? Ooh, um, I'll have to think about that a little bit because that's something that I've never, it's not something I've ever struggled with. Like I can, I make relationships with people quite easily. Um, I'm trying to figure out how. (laughs) As I presented (laughs) that question. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just like, how do I create those relationships? Um, Well, I always try to be as honest as possible. Like I'm never someone who's going to pretend to know more than I do, sometimes to my detriment though. (laughs) (laughs) But I think I'm also always someone who just, if I'm really excited about something, um, I'm already going to be doing everything I can to learn and absorb as much as I can. And I think that willingness to be coached actually, actually that's probably the big thing, especially if you're a young person and just by very nature, if you're someone who's considering starting a business, you're going to be with a lot of people who are very senior to you yeah. <laughs> every day and doing some experiences that people in the 40s or 50s probably haven't gone through as well. Uh, but that willingness to be coached and not think that you know everything is something that I've seen has been like really compelling and interesting to some of the people I've worked with. Because if you're so open to say, like, and it's not that you have to take everyone's advice, um, but just be willing to listen because... The fact of the matter is, if you're like 25, you are not the expert. <laughs> like, you're just, you're just not. And I remember all this stuff. I would have been like 21, 22. Like, it's wow. just like fresh out of uni. People will ask me, what were you doing before this? And I was like, I was at the uni bar. <laughs> that's, like, that's what I was doing before this. Um, and just being able to, yeah, be really honest and candid about that. I will always, always be open about things like that. Um, and then just being willing to, and also I found appreciating that people are really spending the time. Like even when people contact me now and they ask for like a coffee to pick your brain or something like that. Or a podcast interview. (laughs) (laughs) Or a podcast interview. Um, But some of the things, like I found myself, I used to be really hesitant to do this, but if someone messages me with that and they don't explain any context and they don't give me a few times or anything like that, like you're not making it easy for me to help you. Um, And so sometimes I'll be like, hey, just by the way, like still happy to do this. But just FYI, when you deal with somebody who's going to be a lot meaner than me, like, <laughs> you need to you need to respond with like the times you want to be, like that you're available and be flexible to their schedule. You need to appreciate that this person is busy. You probably need to chase them. Like you can't be like, oh, they didn't get back to me in a week, so they're dead to me. Like they think about it. You're probably not the only person that's emailing them. Um, and so I think, yeah, that humbleness, willingness to be coached, I think all of those things come through really quickly and then it makes people want to go out of their way to help you. Um Yeah, again, sorry, so long-winded, but as I made sense of that in my own head, but that's my (laughs) advice. (laughs) 
I'm going to jot that one. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, definitely. I think it, it is so valuable. And I think even thinking about how you do it, because as you said, it comes so naturally for you. You just build relationships with what you clearly love to do, you know, but yeah, I think it is just so valuable to hear kind of back backtracking and understanding how we put the pieces together for our, we can put the pieces together for ourselves. Amazing. So I want to dive a bit deeper into M time. So talk to us a little bit about the idea for M time. When did that idea spark? And then when did you know you had to go out and pursue it? Yeah. So it was really when I heard about the concept of confinement nannies, what really attracted me to it was actually that I, like, I thought of my own mum straight away because my dad died when I was 18 and that was, it was very sudden. Um, and I think that's probably one of the most formative things that happened to me. Um, but I remember because we were in Wagga, our extended family is in Nigeria, and then my youngest sister um, has a disability. So it was just really hard because she still needed to work full time. I have two younger sisters. Like my other sister was still like in year 10 or something. Like it was a really difficult situation. I just remember thinking if someone had been able to just come in and take care of her, whatever that may have been, like one day it might have been helping us get, like helping my sister get to school. Another day it could have been just helping make meals, things like that. That would have been hugely impactful and hugely useful. And so that's what's really draw me to want to see like what could this become Um And so that was always kind of the end goal for me of being able to create something that would take care of people when they need it the most. Um, But as we went out and we did the research on that three-day like business event, it was seeing that like, well, actually like those acute moments um, tend to be like when you've just had a baby, like that's the big one. So like that would be the, the way that we could kind of like make a broader business opportunity around it aside from just doing it when you kind of have, you know, those Mayday moments as really acute ones. Um, and then researching further, we're like, well, and like we just spoke to so many different parents. Um, again, it was like we obviously not the experts, so we weren't, we didn't have kids, um, so everything was just kind of like from hearsay almost. Um, but going out and speaking to so many parents, and just I, I still remember um, almost everyone we spoke to when they were describing their experiences cried at some point, and that was really confronting for me because I didn't know anything about it. And then because it was just that feeling of like I'm not doing it right and people saying just how overwhelmed it was and that you're never really ready. And then that kind of also sparked for us that it's also not just when you've had a baby, just throughout your parenting journey, there's got to be just all these different moments. And so then it was really after doing all that research and like we were kind of umming and ahhing about it and just trying to see, um, yeah, we're just kind of, I think almost overthinking it at that point. Like we did so much research until someone was like, why don't you just do something? Why don't you just start? <laughs> and we were so scared. So we just got some stock images of like a nanny. Um, and we put it on Instagram. This is when you could still get organic reach really easily on Instagram. <laughs> oh, gosh. Um, Those are the days. Yeah, 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 I know, I know. Um, and then we got swamped. All these people just gave us money to um, organize this like magic person that would come in and take care of you. And then we were like, there's no... Re- this, this is the point of no return. And we didn't have like a name or anything at this point. We were just kind of like, let's see what happens. Um, and then we had M time because we just wanted to give people more me time back for themselves. So that like, that's all it was. Um, and it was really, yeah, it was that taking that point of no return. If we had never posted up, I think I would be still talking about it. It's just like, oh, this would have been like a cool way to help people and to understand. And then I, I always thought, and then eventually, you know, you'd have a big enough market that you could let people use it like on an ad hoc basis rather than like you needing to use it regularly and things like that. 
Um, but yeah, it was really just posting it. And then when people give you money, then you just, <laughs> you've got to deliver. <laughs> That's huge. I just, I love hearing how it always starts. I think the start is the part, as you said, that we are most fearful of. We're like, oh, do we do it? Do we not? But then I guess for you, it was all the money. So then we've got to do something now. I guess what were some of the early challenges, you know, when when you that money presented itself and you went, oh, goodness, we didn't even have a person. We've never prototyped this before. We, we don't even know how this works. You know, what were some of those early challenges and how did you grow to overcome them? Um, I think the biggest one, um, especially when I think back to that moment, was just like realising that this is serious. <laughs> like, <laughs> like realising that like this is, this is, people are about to trust us with their children. This is not a joke. Um, so then um, even just getting insurance was actually the first challenge we had which is so interesting to think back on because it seems like such a silly thing now, like such a straightforward person. But I was very stressed about, <laughs> about, about how we would go about getting insurance. And that was like so important. So we had to like register a business. We had to, um, and we were lucky that we could go to um, University of New South Wales in Sydney because they actually, had, I don't know if they still do. I feel like they probably do. But at the time um, they would help you um, register a business and they actually did it for you for free if you were if you graduated within five years so that was like really lucky for us we went there we got all the legal advice we got they really just set us straight they really gave us like the foundations of like you've got to do this and it's like and then they even helped us with like all these people that had given like we capped it very quickly we we're like all right 10 people this is good um and then we like realized okay we need to communicate with them a lot more and we're like hey this was a test um we're gonna do it but it's going to be about a month. So then we kind of set boundaries. We contacted everyone personally so that they were really with us on the journey of like, hey, we just want to see if this is going to be something that we could create. But until that point, it was really just kind of slapping things together and seeing what works. And I say that, and that's still sort of what it is now, um, <laughs> to be 100% to be honest. Um, but it was, yeah, that the first challenge of accepting that it was real and it's a serious and that we need to go out and get help to know how to do it properly, actually. Mm-hmm. Huge. Where were you in your life at that point? Did you, had you graduated Melbourne at the time? Were you working at another job? Like how, how do you just create space to do something like this? Uh, so we didn't properly. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we were, we'd both just started our Master of Entrepreneurship at Melbourne Uni. So we were doing it. There was like a, you know, at the beginning, you know, it was a long uni holiday. So we set it all up then. And then we were trying to do it in tandem to studying and we had to stop a little bit because like just the demands of doing a master's degree um, weren't the same. So then we did that first test with those 10 people and part of the deal was that because then we realized it was like, wait, it was going to be more expensive than we charged everyone, like (laughs) all these different things that we learned along the way. Um, But part of the deal of like having that discounted rate was that they would meet us and have a talk and like really help us think through some things. Um, And that was the most valuable thing that we've done. The learnings we got from that are still the learnings that we kind of stick by today. Um, But then after that, we kind of went back to researching and learning what are the opportunities would be, how to grow it. And then that actually worked really well so that it kind of fit in with the masters. So we were able to actually use M time as a business as like our university project um, in our second semester. So that made it more manageable. Um, and it was still so, but part of that is why like I really kind of see it as when we like really well and truly started would have been 2017 and all of that was 2016 this kind of testing, learning, interviewing, but we weren't at a point where we really started and we really knew what was what 
when we really started, the biggest challenge was like we didn't know how to get customers. Yeah. <laughs> yes. That was that was like that's every business owner. Yeah, exactly. Struggled. Just <laughs> sitting there and being like, all right, we've like set all this up. We're sitting here like because we knew that we wanted to do it. Um, we were able to like save up and like you know. And I think we were both also really fortunate to have support from family. Like I've, there's never been a point for me where my mum hasn't been incredibly supportive. I've been very lucky. Um, and so then like, you know, having that backing of like, hey, we actually support you. We know this is crazy. We both kind of picked up our jobs. Like I worked for the Australian Open for a while just to like work in, in mass, save up and do things like that for the first year or so, um, doing as much as we could to kind of um, fit things in. Um, but it was really that, it was really tough at the start of just having, being able to do both at the time. Like I'm always really impressed with people who have side hustles because I don't think I, I don't think I have the strength to do that. Like I'm, as I said, like for me, I'm like, it stops being fun. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not that, that strong-willed. <laughs> oh, I love it. I, I love it. I think, you know, I think so many of us think it has to be, you know, it can't be. You know, I think so many of us think our careers, our businesses that we're in or what we do, like it shouldn't be fun. And then we do the thing on the side that's going to be fun. You know, how did you develop that mentality that the thing that you do is should be the fun thing? And how can we develop that also? How can we understand the importance of that? Um, for me, I think, like I used to be far more um, certainty-based. Like I, mm. I'm... I sometimes will describe myself as someone who likes certainty and then I'll be very quickly corrected. That's obviously <laughs> not true. <laughs> obviously not true about myself. But I used to be, until my dad died, I remember because I wanted to be a writer and then I realised that it was going to be hard and then I moved to a PR and advertising degree because I was like, everyone's always going to want to sell things. This is like a very clear <laughs> pathway. And I remember like, and because I was always, I've always been very self-motivated and so I like interned a lot um, as early as I could. I started working a lot as early as I could. And so I like already, like by the time I was in third or fourth year, I already had like opportunities and because I was always building relationships, opportunities to start working in advertising agency very quickly. And that was like a very clear path. But then when my dad died, I, I realized I don't care about any of that. Like I don't care about excelling really quickly in a career. I don't care about whether this is like the linear path or not. And I remember just really focusing on just what was going to be really enjoyable, what was going to, what was going to make me really happy. And the only time I kind of fell off that path was when I was initially um, on my gap year for a bit. And then that period, that's when I thought I'm, I want to do law, it's going to be linear and straight. And it's like, well, no, that's just like it, my, who I, is, who I was as a person just like fundamentally changed that like that was never really going to fly for me. I think I, I think I probably would have enjoyed studying because I think it would have been quite interesting and I like that it would have been quite dense because I'm that way. <laughs> um, but I don't think I would have lost. I don't think I would have lasted at all. I think I really just need that variety and I think I need something that's always going to be have the potential that to fulfill me because I want to make sure that everything I do is always going to be fulfilling because you just don't know anymore that, that there is no certainty in life. Um, that was my takeaway from it. And it's just, yeah. So then even though like, you know, I had to do kind of odd jobs and stuff to make sure that things, you know, could financially survive doing this. Those were my side hustles. Mm -hmm. Like the business was my main thing. So I kind of flipped it and just did 
whatever I could. I think I had the benefit also of still having a student mentality. So, you know, I was going in without responsibilities and stuff. So um, I don't want to undermine that at all for anyone else. But I, I think because of where I was and just already being poor from being a student, I didn't need as much. Um, and being able to kind of just find those old jobs again from just having all of those relationships, I was kind of able to make things work. And yeah, I really, and I also, for me, I was like, worst thing, I would very happily just move back to Wagga and then work at Coles, <laughs> um, save up, which I did on my gap year before mm. I moved to Melbourne. I worked as a trolley pusher, best job I've ever had. It was <laughs> yeah. so much fun. Um, and I would like do that again until I was ready to restart um, and figure myself out again. And that's still something I would do if tomorrow, which very, you know, the nature of business, if tomorrow everything falls apart, that's what I would do. That would be my backup until I, yeah, recalibrated. It's just so amazing that you you just, you seem so grounded. You are so grounded, Sarah. I think it's just so amazing to see regardless of all that you've achieved and accomplished, you still have the ability to go, I'm not better than the next person. I'm more than happy to do what I need to do to just kind of be on the right path for me. I feel like many of us live by others' expectations or what society, you know, kind of sees as normal or acceptable. And maybe, you know, a job at Coles would be seen as, oh, I could never do that. That would just, my friends and family would think I'd failed. You know, how do we let go of those expectations so that we can realign ourselves with what we want to do? I I think... I think for me, it like goes back to what we were talking about before. Like, I will never be anyone's <laughs> expectation. I will just not. <laughs> um, and so, like, why, why bother? Like, mm. if if that's if that's my lot, I want to make that my advantage. Like, why not just kind of do whatever I feel? Um, I do remember. Um, like, I mean, and people always have something to say no matter what. But there's a quote that I love, and like. Anyone who's kind of commenting on that, it's never going to come from someone who's doing more than you. <laughs> it just yes. it just never will. <laughs> and so, like, that's the type of thing that I always remind myself of because if someone is kind of doing the same thing, like, I don't think any of my friends who are entrepreneurs would, like, no. put their nose up. Everyone would be like, yeah, you do what you've got to do. <laughs> like, I've been there. Here are my 50 stories of when I did something similar. Or it's like, actually, to be honest with you, I've already taken up another. Like, my side hustle is I'm also already working at a bar sometimes. Like, that's yeah. that's just what it is. Um, but when you don't really know how tough um, or what anyway, you know, you always see just the top of what someone's doing. You don't know what's underneath. Um, so then it's easy to comment. But like, yeah, if you just, you're never going to make anyone's expectations. And fortunately, well, fortunately, I guess I've always known that. So that's what it's been. So great. I just think, yeah, just such great takeaways from today. It's amazing. So look, as we come to the close of today's episode, Sarah, I just want to take a moment to acknowledge you, you know, over the last, it's been five, six years now since starting, or five years, I think you said, since starting M-Time or starting on this entrepreneurial journey. And, you know, since, since you know, really 2017, when things started to kick off with M-Time, you know, you've, you've been recognised for your work. You've won countless awards. You've been listed on the Smart Companies 30 Under 30 list. As you mentioned before, you're on the board of directors for the Foundation for Young Australians. And you're also a member of the Australia Post Stakeholder Council. It's absolutely huge to say. And I just, I guess we really appreciate you for showing us that, no job is, you know, no job is too low or or not good enough that we can chase our dreams, even if it does mean we have to take up some type of side hustle. And yeah, I, we just really appreciate you for being so real and honest with us about your journey. 
Oh no, I'm so happy to share it. I hope it's I hope it's useful. I really that's the thing that's most important to me. I hope I hope this is useful to anyone that's listening. Mm, I love that. So where is before we end on the final question, I'd love to know where M Time is today. You know, what where are you guys at now and what are you looking to build in the future? Um, so we're in such an interesting phase at the moment. We took, I was going to say, we took some time out last year. We're like, that's the opposite of what we did. That's not at all true. Um, but last year we actually, because we kind of spent some time fixing all the holes and oh, they were many, <laughs> many, many, many holes. But we spent some time fixing all of that. And then beginning of last year, we just had this upward trajectory and it was just too much. We actually couldn't handle the demand that we had because we didn't have the right operational structure in place. So then we like stopped like kept servicing all the customers we had and like managing the staff. I think we still, I mean, we still have about 30 people working for us. So we still had all that going on, but we're like, how do we make sure that this is something that can scale and grow? So yeah, that's why it's interesting. Like we paused and like, no, we still had a business that we were running, but then we like just stopped and we did the work again, similar to what I was talking about that I did during the masters. It was taking six months to just make sure that we could enable the growth that we want. Um, and then it's almost scary saying it aloud because we're only in, we're still in February. We're yeah, still in February, sure. yeah. And just the work that we did, that is just already, we're already seeing this result so quickly. And I'm like, fire out, this year's going to be massive. And I'm really excited. Um, I'm really scared. <laughs> um, I'm also really grateful because, like, I've changed my team around. Like, now I have more people working with me. Um, on Church team has gone bigger. Um, the customers we have is like that customer base is growing um, faster than I would have thought it would. Um, and it's just all these things are kind of falling into place. Um, and it's exciting and scary. And I'm really hopeful that by the end of this year, we're going to be able to be in a position where we can start piling it in more areas. And that growth is something that I never really knew would happen. But now I actually feel extremely confident that it's going to. And um, I think it was just that realization that everything is always going to take so much longer <laughs> than you yes. than you thought it would but then when it really starts working it starts working and i think that's where i'm that's where i'm at <laughs> oh it's just so great to hear and we're, i'm personally so excited to hear where you guys are at end of the year and just to follow along with your journey so i guess the final question is how we finish every episode of the peers to peers podcast and that is what is the value of pursuing what you're most passionate about Ooh, that is a really good question. I think for me it's been that I'm always I'm always really excited to work, even though it's always exhausting. <laughs> but I'm still always really excited about it. And for me, my one of my biggest passions has always just been learning and growth. And I don't think there's been a single day of my life since M time came into my life that I don't think I've grown so much. Like even when I think of the last week I've had the level of growth has just been next level and that's exactly what I've wanted. And I think I think being able to grow so much and then see the business grow so that the, the direct output of my growth is being put into something so tangible, like being, knowing like when I have to be a reference for someone buying a house, for example, like knowing that you're making that much of a difference in people's lives because you're their employer. And that's, it's just such an exciting feeling that I never thought I would get to feel. And I think that's what I valued the most. Mm. Oh, I love it. Oh, Sarah, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> we have had a blast. Where can people learn more about you and M-Time? Um, well, you can visit M-Time on mtime.com.au. 
Um, and you can stop me on LinkedIn. That's that's probably the easiest way. <laughs> <laughs> we love a nice LinkedIn stalk. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks so much, Sarah, once again. And for everyone else listening, we will end with that. Peers, that's a wrap. Thank you for tuning in to the latest episode of the Peers to Peers podcast. We hope you've enjoyed your introduction to our latest guest peer and that you find them as gung-ho as we do, which is our way of saying inspirational. For more, make sure to subscribe to our show on iTunes, Spotify, or any app where podcasts are played and leave us a review. We produce with passion and it doesn't stop here. To see what else we're up to, visit thepeersproject.com or follow us on Instagram at The Peers Project. We'll have fresh, real talk for you next week, peers. Until then, if you need inspiration, look amongst your peers. <laughs>